I was getting started, I was told that I didn't need licensing to do what I was doing. And then I was told by somebody else that I should probably look into some licensing requirements. Instead of calling an attorney for advice, I called the regulators and asked them if what I was doing was legal. Take your advice from someone who is trying to help you, not trying to regulate you. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fund That Flip, you know Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fund That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This show, we cut out all the fluff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many other best ever guests. And with us today, we have Kevin Ambrose. How you doing, Kevin? Good. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing really well. And welcome to the show and a little bit about Kevin, and then he'll get into it in more detail. He is the president of Pine Financial Group, and he says it's the largest lender in Colorado and Minnesota with over 1,000 deals and $50 million in active loans. He owns more than 20 properties amounting to over 50 units and has closed over 700 transactions as a buyer, seller, or mortgage consultant. He's based in Denver, Colorado, and you can say hi to him and his company at pinefinancialgroup.com. With that being said, Kevin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and yeah, what, you're, what you're focused on? Yeah, absolutely, Joe. First, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. And gosh darn, it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish with this podcast. You've done an awesome job. So I appreciate that. And the best ever listeners, I'm sure they appreciate that as well. Well, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Well, I, I got started pretty young. I was in the Army and I was uh, saving up some money. You know, in the Army, they don't make a lot. You don't spend a lot either. So I had a, a little savings account going there and I wanted to figure out how to invest that um, for the best returns. So I started reading books on investing and probably like you, most of the uh, advice I was getting is real estate is really a good way, maybe the best way to accumulate wealth. So I honed in on real estate and I bought my first property while I was still in the army. I just turned 21. And when I got out, I moved into it. Two years later, I moved out and kept it as a rental. And I was making a lot of money. It was going up in value. 
my first tenant, I was making $350 net a month. And my initial investment was only $3,500. So I was like, this really is the way to go. This is what my career is going to be. So I was broke. I was in college and uh, eating top ramen. And I decided I was going to be a real estate investor. And I learned how to buy properties with little and no money down. Uh, maybe we talk a little bit about those strategies today, but started acquiring a lot, doing a one or two deals a month. And I did that for years. And then I got into the lending side because my passion really is the deal structure and not necessarily managing properties or contractors. So I really enjoy the financing side. So I started Pine Financial in 2008 and that's really taken off. Yeah, lots to talk about. Let's see. First off, thank you for your service when you're in the Army. You're welcome. My brother's in the Army. And this weekend, I'm going to a ceremony where he's taking over a squadron down in Fort Hood. Oh, cool. About when you started, I think let's start there. You're 21 years old. You bought your first property. How did you get into it for $3,500? And how much did you buy it? Four, and can you tell us more details on that? When I got started, I was real conventional. I was using a real estate agent and she was driving me around in her car and we we're looking at properties and I had a, a typical mortgage broker trying to help me get the financing on it. And so this first property was an FHA loan, was which is three and a half percent down. We were able to talk the seller into paying all of my other costs as part of the deal. And I, I purchased the property for a hundred grand. In that time, the hundred grand that was a pretty inexpensive house in Denver. Not that Colorado has war zones, but if they did, this would have been it. There were shootings at times, and the helicopters with the spotlight and that kind of thing. So that's the uh, that's a neighborhood I, I lived in for the first couple of years after I got out of the military, and then I rented that thing for eleven hundred dollars a month after I moved out. And Section Eight's a great thing because it's a hundred percent. And in my case, this was a hundred percent subsidized by the government. So it was, it was cash flowing like crazy. And what was the mortgage on that? It's a hundred thousand dollar purchase minus the thirty five hundred dollar down payment. So what's that ninety six five? Yeah, what is that a month? That's I guess that was my real question because with eleven hundred dollars with only that much down, I'm wondering how much you were making a month. Yeah, it was net about three fifty. I think the payment was it was under seven hundred six something six sixty maybe. Okay, all right. So you're making three hundred fifty bucks. And then you got into other deals and you said you're buying one to two deals a month. How were you doing that? And I really honed in on one buying strategy. I tried the foreclosure route and the short sale route. Um, I heard that was the fail safe and everyone makes a ton of money and I ended up losing money. The foreclosure route wasn't for me. I went to the pretty home business and that was lease options for me. I was negotiating leases with the owners, long-term leases with the option to buy it. And I was subleasing those out. And then I'd exercise my option and buy it and then flip it to my buyer. All right. So you were doing long-term leases with option to buy the property and then lease that out so you'd make a spread on it, right? Right. And then you would lease it out as someone to take over your option to purchase or just to lease it out? I was just leasing it out. Most of my tenants, I would do a rent to own. So I basically do a lease option as my exit strategy as well. Um, that made it much easier for me to find higher quality tenants. So I like that. And some neighborhoods, you, it doesn't work so well. Some neighborhoods, you have to advertise as a straight rental because that's what the market is expecting. Mm -hmm. How would you approach seller with the lease option approach? Oh, Joe, that's a good one. 
when I first got started, I would approach all the sellers directly over the phone. So I'd make direct contact with them on the phone and I would literally try to negotiate the deal on the phone without ever seeing the house. Very little credibility. Uh, and I ended up buying a house that way. So I guess it worked, but it took me over a hundred phone calls to get that one deal. I later learned that I, I just want to plant the seed that I'm interested in a long lease and then I'm an investor and I'm trying to profit and then try to get them to invite me over to the house to take a look. And then I would negotiate with them and approach them with the strategy at their kitchen table. Mm. And you saw that it's more effective when you meet with them in person. How did that conversation go? Like pretend we just sat down. What do you do? First thing I'd say is you understand that I'm a real estate investor and I'm here to make a profit right? And they would say yes. And I like starting out with that because then their guard comes down. They know that you're not trying to pull a fast one on them. Mm -hmm. So they get their guard down and then I, I try to get them to commit to saying either yes or no. They're at the table and then we're going to share some crazy ideas and they may hate the ideas and that's okay. And then I just ask them to tell me about their situation say, what are you hoping I could do for you? Mm -hmm. And then get them talking. Okay. And what do you want to hear and what don't you want to hear? I want to hear motivation. I want to hear that they can't afford the house. I want to hear that they've got a job transfer or as bad as it sounds, maybe there's a death in the family or a sick parent or something that's drawing their attention away from the house and the house is creating a problem for them and, and I could help them solve that problem. Okay. And how do you approach it? Like, can you give us a scenario with numbers if you're, I know it's been a little while since you were actively doing this. My very first deal, the lady had, I think it was 13 rental properties and a handful went vacant all at the same time. She was single. She didn't have a lot of help and she was just burned out. What we call a tired landlord. She didn't want the properties anymore. And this is the one I, I honed in on one and she would really wanted to get rid of it. So I rented it from her for, gosh, if I remember, I just $1,200 a month. I gave her $3,000 down payment. I do remember that. And that, that was the, the only time I've ever given money down on one of these. And I used a credit card to come up with that cash. So I gave her the, the three grand, rented it for twelve hundred, and I subleased it out for thirteen hundred dollars a month. So it's a, a little hundred dollar spread there. Not a great deal. Um, hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done that, but it's my first deal, so I guess I should have done that. It got me going. And when you say it was your first deal, it was not the first ever because that FHA one was your first one, right? Yeah, it's my first lease option deal. That's first right. lease option deal. Okay. When you're making that $1,200 payment to her in that scenario, is that going towards the pay down of your option? In this case, it wasn't. The $3,000 down payment all went towards the price of the property, but none of the rent did. Okay. I mean, I should probably share this with you. I, I, my tenant buyer that was buying the property for me gave me five grand for their down payment. So I was able to recoup my three grand within a couple of weeks. And then you're making a hundred bucks spread. And I made a hundred bucks a month spread. And that one, I agreed to pay way too much for it. So I never got the opportunity to exercise my option. I ended up just turning the property back over to the owner. Okay. Got it. What about a one that was a home run for you on the lease option? I just exercised one last month. It's a fourplex in hot area of Denver. I didn't give him any money down. I rented it for $1,900 a month. At least each unit on average for the last 10 years, $800 a month per unit. And I had it for 10 years. Uh, my option price was, I ended up exercising an option at 425000 
Right now it appraises north at about 600. And it's a it's a property that's going to be developed. I'm going to tear the fourplex down and build some townhomes. Oh, wow. You're doing that? Yes. Have you ever developed from ground up before? I've had my hand in several developments. I had equity stake in over 70 units in Denver and built a couple single families. When Actually, you... I've done, done a lot. I've got an 80-acre development that I'm doing. It's a mixed-use, 150 homes, apartment complex, and some, some retail. When you say you've got an equity stake, are you the one leading the charge, or are you passively investing in kind of going along with everybody else who's passively investing? Yeah, I want to say everybody else. There's a partner. I will go in on a deal with one other partner that's driving it, um, mm-hmm. but I I help with the decision making. I don't I don't just turn my money over. Got it. So it's, um, I'm helping with the decisions and I'm helping manage, but it's mostly passive for me. And how is that structured between you and your partner from a legal standpoint? I actually record a shared appreciation deed of trust. And so it's just like a partnership, except it, it's uh, viewed more as a, a lender. So there's less liability for me. And with something recorded on title, it makes it almost impossible for him to cut me out of the deal. So I structure it where I'm going to make the payments on any loan and I'm going to cover uh, overages or whatever the agreement is of the cash going in. And I secure that cash with them with a deed of trust. Do you still focus on lease options? You know, occasionally I get a phone call from a previous seller or someone that knows that I'm capable of doing those and um, we'll try to negotiate something. But really right now, my focus is on Pine Financial. From your background in the lease options, how did you end up becoming a lender? The fun part of the the lease option is the deal structure. I, I enjoyed meeting with people and trying to figure out how to solve the problem and structure the deal. I evolved from lease options to more creative things like uh, taking over payments and people that had free and clear property, having them carry notes and share an appreciation with them. And all of that stuff was a lot of fun and, and then start raising private money and, and all of that. So I really like the deal structure and I realized that the deal structure is all about the financing. The financing is the deal structure. So I became a mortgage broker and I did that before there was a mortgage broker licensing and that went really well. Until licensing hit and it became challenging and guidelines started changing and you probably remember all of that. I was banging my head against the wall. My head was hurting pretty bad and I had no control. So I quickly decided that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take control and, and I started raising private money to instead of for my deals to lend to other people. How much have you raised to lend to other people? It's just north of $55 million. And what are your primary sources? You don't have to obviously mention names, but just from a category standpoint, where that $55 million comes from? My biggest investor is the landlord of the building that I office out of. Kind of a weird story, but I, I met him in the restroom and he ended up investing with me. Most of the time, it's entrepreneurs that don't have the time but have cash and they're looking for a, a secure return. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of referrals right now. Once you do what you say you're going to do, and that word gets out, it becomes fairly easy to raise this money. Out of the $55 million, roughly, how many people does that comprise of? Mm, a little over 200. What are some lessons you've learned while you're raising the $55 million for your business? Well, the biggest lesson I learned is to get advice from attorneys, not regulators. When I was getting started, 
I was told that I didn't need licensing to do what I was doing. And so I just went for it. And then I was told by somebody else, one of my competitors, that I should probably look into some licensing requirements. Instead of calling an attorney for advice, I called the regulators and asked them if what I was doing was legal. And that was a quick invitation into their office. <laughs> so take your advice from someone who is trying to help you, not trying to regulate you. So what you were doing was not legal and therefore you need to correct it? That's right. To broker loans, which is what I was doing. I pool money now. But when I was just strictly brokering loans, you need to have a, a securities license, like a broker dealer license to do that. Did you get your license or did you restructure? I got my license and I restructured. So I, I still occasionally sell notes and broker notes. I am still required to carry that license. What type of process is it to get the license? It's actually not that complicated. You fill out an application with the last 10 years of everything you've done, everywhere you've worked got to get bonded and you have to pass a test. It's a series 63 is the test you take, the securities test. And, and that's it. You pay your fee. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? The best advice I have for the best ever listeners is to move at a steady pace. And the reason I say that is twofold. First, move is the most important word there. I see this all the time where Newer investors get caught up in the education trap. Uh, education is essential. I'm not trying to downgrade that. I, I, I love it. I, I think it's essential again, but you don't need to know everything before you start moving. And so I think you need to implement what you learn, make your mistakes, which you're going to correct them and keep going. The second piece there is move at a steady pace, which is where my biggest problem has always come in is the ready fire aim syndrome. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yep. Um, I've had that. So I've I just go for it um, and I go at a quick pace and and in 2007 and 2008, that, that really hurt me. Move slowly and don't get in over your head. In 2007, 2008, what type of impact did that have on you? I had 35 houses that I, you know, when I was doing a deal or two a month, some of those I'd flip, but a lot of them I'd keep. My, my goal was to create this huge empire. And I was creating this empire with goals like how many houses I'm going to purchase in a month or a year and how many of those houses I'm going to keep in my portfolio. Absolutely ridiculous goals. Your goals should not be based around the number of transactions because you end up doing bad deals just to hit your goal. So I ended up with all of these properties that weren't that great, highly leveraged, you know, stated income, 100 percent, no money down loans that were going on. I was taking advantage of all of that. 2007, the interest rates started creeping up and rents started coming down. Perfect time to sell and get rid of your properties, but I couldn't because they were so leveraged. So I had to try to ride through that cycle. And in, in 2008, that's when the credit crunch hit and everything stopped. And I ended up losing a couple of properties. So I was a millionaire by whoever standards that is on, on paper. I had I had a million dollars in equity and I couldn't spend any of it. I ended up having a, a real stressful couple of years there. During those couple years, when the sky's falling, what did you do to cope with that? I just worked hard. I had to stay as busy as possible. Although I did have a daughter in 2008, and I started pine in 2008 also. So uh, there was a lot going on. But if I could stay busy, feel like I'm making progress and digging myself out, that's kind of how I dealt with it. 2008 was when a lot of people got hurt. 2007 is when I really got hurt. I was already on my recovery in 2008. For someone who has a challenge like that, what would you recommend to them? Well, don't put your head in the sand. I see that. 
uh, get advice from people who have been through it, probably get some support. I think a mastermind group is absolutely essential. You could have people around you that are like-minded and are on your team, on your side, and want to help you. And you can go to them almost like a counselor and, and get advice and get some support. It's only temporary. Pain is only temporary. And I knew that I would, I would dig out of it. I just had to keep moving forward. Ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, if you're looking to take control of your retirement and you have a 401k or IRA, then check out Sense Financial. It's S-E-N-S-E financial.com. They offer you the chance to take control of your retirement accounts through the self-directed 401k and IRA programs. You can request your free consultation at sensefinancial.com. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I read? Well, I think Rich Dad Poor Dad is one of the tops that really got me started, but it didn't give me any practical advice. I mean, it's more of a concept, which is fantastic, but I didn't do anything with it necessarily. And what got me going, what got me that first lease option that we talked about, Joe, was uh, how to create multiple streams of income buying homes in nice areas. Peter Ponty and David Finkel. And there's some advice in there that I use to actually negotiate and get that first deal. So I'd have to say that one. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? My best growth experience has been the mastermind groups. Having a team around you that will support you again, like I said, and also for the accountability. The way we structured ours is we'd meet once a week or once every two weeks and, and we set up tasks that we had to accomplish. And if we didn't accomplish them, the group would hold me accountable. How'd you find the group? The first one was found for me through a, a, uh, one of those real estate education programs that I went through. So we all had to put together a mastermind group before we left the event. The other one that I was in, I created it. I just found the people that I wanted, the most influential people I could find that isn't directly competing with me, but in the same industry. And I just started calling them and asking them if they'd be part of it. Heard a lot of no's, but I got enough yes to make it worth it. What was the structure for the people, the most influential people? How did you approach that? I just called them and said, you know, I want to, I want to get together with, with uh, a group of people twice a month, uh, sit down for an hour, have a specific agenda with goals in mind, and I want to see if we can help each other grow. Is that over the phone? Yes. Best ever deal you've done? So that, that first lease options probably ranks way up there because it's it kind of got me going. Um, and then I've had deals where I've made almost seven figures on one deal, so those rank up there too. But what really gets me excited is the no money down deals that really cash flow and create that passive income. So I've done a handful in a certain neighborhood in Denver back in 2010 where I was buying them with nothing down, getting permanent financing in place once they were rehabbed, and, and they cash flow four or five hundred dollars a month. What are the numbers on the deal where you almost made seven figures? that one it's actually going to be about 600 grand now and they're closed the units are closing we developed a 14 unit townhome project in sloan's lake in denver and uh, that's one of those passive investment deals that i partnered on with somebody um, i agreed to make payments between 15 and twenty-five thousand dollars a month uh, depending on how the loan as a loan construction would advance money the payments were going to escalate until he was able to get them all sold. The problem is he, we hired a builder that was not competent enough to do that project. And we ended up having to fire him and now him and I are managing the whole thing. And that really slowed us down, decreased our profit, and I guess it's the expenses because we've had to pay subcontractors twice. He, we paid him and he did not pay the subs. What would you do differently? Vet the 
builder. Call referrals. Look at a resume. Would you pay the subs directly? Not necessarily, because I've done deals where I've had a builder and they handle all of that. That's really how I'd like to do it, frankly. But you got to have a reputable builder if that's what you're going to do. Otherwise, I would recommend paying the subs directly. Best ever way you like to give back? I like to educate people. I love going to networking meetings and having someone come up to me and say, you know, because of this advice or because of this loan or how, whatever it is that I was able to accomplish this or this. I really enjoy that kind of conversation when I've helped change somebody's life. So we do a lot of education at Pine Financial and, and for the most part, it's all free. Um, we have one event that's paid, but it's like 15 bucks just to cover our costs of the, of the room. So we do classes and networking events and webinars and we write a newsletter every month. So that's what I like to do. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? The biggest mistake is I bought a 23 unit extended stay hotel in a different state. I know nothing about hotels. I, I was convinced that I can convert it since it was extended stay and most of the units had kitchens. I, I was convinced I could convert it to be run like an apartment. And I failed at that miserably and ended up losing north of a hundred grand. What's the big takeaway for you on that one? The big takeaway is um, the advice I like to give people is stay focused. In this business or any business really, you're gonna get approached over and over and over, especially as, as you get more and more successful from people trying to pull your time and get you to join some new opportunity. Network marketing is the one that's sticking in my head right now. And as soon as you chase that new opportunity and you lose focus on what's actually making you money, your income goes down. Um, you're chasing this dream of huge income and, and you end up hurting yourself. So in this specific case, I'm chasing these numbers on a deal that I know nothing about because it was shiny. And ended up losing money on that and my company suffered. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? Best place to reach me is just go to our website. It's pinefinancialgroup.com or email. Email is kevin at pinefinancialgroup.com. Actually, you also wrote a book. I don't know if we mentioned that or not, but um, I took what I've learned as a lease option and tried to go into as much detail as I could so people can actually go out and do deals with the book. Forms and scripts and everything are in there. That's at 45dayinvestor.com. Oh, cool. All right, I will link to that as well, 45dayinvestor.com. I think the Kindle is like 8 okay. bucks or something. I see it in Amazon. Best ever listeners, I'll link to that in the show notes page. Well, Kevin, thank you for being on the show and talking about the multitude of experience that you have. You mentioned at the end to stay focused on what's making you money. And it's interesting because you've also made money in different areas but i think one core piece of that is really focusing on the transaction and how to structure it because you uh, had a lot of success with the lease options at the beginning then got more creative with carrying notes raising private money and now you've got the focus of you know the private money lending so i'm really glad that you talked us through each of those things as well as yeah, the extended stay conversion that didn't go well and subcontractor, contractor thing and the other lessons that you've learned. I wrote this down when you said goals shouldn't be based on the number of transactions. I just smile whenever I hear someone say, well, my goal is X amount of transactions a year. It's like, oh, why? Why? Why do you want that? Why? Why? Let's not let's not approach it that way. Approach it. How much do you want to make per transaction? 
then have that be your goal because perhaps you have fewer transactions, less headaches, less work, and get the same dollar amount that you ultimately want. So thanks so much for being on the show, Kevin. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Joe. Appreciate it. Best ever listeners, if you're looking to take control of your retirement and you have a 401k or IRA, then check out Sense Financial. It's S-E-N-S-E financial.com. They offer you the chance to take control of your retirement accounts through the self-directed 401k and IRA programs. You can request your free consultation at sensefinancial.com.